Today we, we finish a sermon series at this church and it's been a sermon series that I've said throughout and I'll continue to say, uh, this is the last time actually because we're ending, but it's a sermon series where you have to really take all of these sermons together and you need to look at the sermons and hear the sermons if you haven't heard all of them and you need to, to listen to each of them because none of them can be taken individually. And if you take one of my sermons and you don't listen to all of my sermons, then you're going to put me in some kind of box that I'm not comfortable being in and say, well, Chad said, and then you'll use Chad said to, to really do something that's not right and that's, that's not okay with me. And so, so far, here's what we've seen, and even though if you haven't heard one of these, I want you to go back, but here's what we've seen so far. We've seen that when it comes to the topic of judging people, helping people remove sin from their lives or metaphorically remove the planks or specks from their eyes, we've seen this so far, that when we do it, we need to review ourselves, remove sin, and remember our salvation. And when we do that, it helps us not come across judgmental because we go, well, yeah, I'm a sinner too, and I've done lots of things wrong, and I'm just trying to help you as a fellow sinner who's messed up and messes up and has problems. We also said, one of the corniest things I've said in a long time, today's might be worse, but I really like my ending statement today. It's just so exciting, and I tested it on somebody, and they liked it. Uh, and so, but judge the believing and not the heathen. And so we saw that, that we can't force our morality, or even we probably shouldn't push our morality onto other people who are not Christians, who have never ascribed to the things of Jesus. And a lot of times what we do as American Christians is, is we're harsher on those outside the church. We say, hey, you need to do what I want you to do. And, and then we are on the people inside the church. And so we saw that we need to help those inside the church live out the morality that they have, they have signed up to live out. And those outside of the church, we need, to, we need to try to lead them to Jesus, not to our ethics. And then we saw on disputable matters, judge self and not others last week. And we talked about how with things like dancing and drinking and gambling, things that are not inherently good or bad, we need to save ourselves from being judgmental by not judging those things, not looking down on others. But at the same time, we need to judge ourselves in those things pretty severely and ask, am I hurting somebody else's Faith, am I destroying somebody else's salvation because of the freedom that I have in Jesus? Now, last week I said I didn't like the passage of Scripture, and maybe you were mad at me about that, I don't know, but I, it just was one that was really tough and difficult and kind of hit a, a tough time in our, in our church for me as we're trying to make decisions about who can serve in certain capacities and things like that. But here's the cool part. I really, really like this final passage of Scripture. And I think that you'll like it too. I think you're gonna, this is kind of the, the fear, but also the excitement and why I think I woke up just excited to be here today, which is not always the case, even though I'm a pastor, I know, and I hope uh, I don't want to fake it, but, so, but today I was just excited, and, and, and I think it's because this passage of scripture, we're going to be able to see how when it is lived out in a congregation, in a group of Christian people, in a church, how really beautiful and different it can be compared to what we see in group dynamics in the rest of the world. I think that this passage of scripture is one that, that the world is really longing to, 
to embrace, that, that people even outside the church look at and, and just think, man, I would like to be a part of a group that does this really well, that lives this out together. Now here's, but the fear part of this is, is while it sounds really, really good, it's like, wow, I'd love to be a part of that, to like actually want to do the things necessary to make that happen in a church, to make that happen in a group of Christians, is not that easy for us. You see, this passage of scripture is going to kind of drive home this point uh, that, that really is like beautiful and we want to be a part of, but it's really something that we don't really want to like have to create. We just want to kind of take, 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 but not give, give, give when it comes to this passage of scripture and what it's going to teach. And this is the reason. Here's the reason. If you're like me, most human beings, you want the easiest, least messy approach to doing whatever it is you need to do. Isn't that true? Don't you like, I mean, when you're making a decision about how to go about something, you want the easiest, least messy, quickest approach. The thing that's not hard, the thing that doesn't leave you dirty, either physically or metaphorically, and the thing that is going to get the job done the quickest. And when we do things in life, most often, this is the approach we take, like when we're driving somewhere. Rarely do we go, what's the most beautiful way to get there? That's not a question we ask ourselves. Like maybe if I like, you know, drive through Troutdale from Portland on the way to Salem, that's, I mean, that could be really beautiful. No, we go, okay, what's the fastest, easiest, cleanest way to get there? It's to go down I-5 and we just hop on I-5 and we don't even think about it again. With exercise, like when you turn on like the TV, there's always these like, machines that make you think it's not true just fyi but it makes you think like if you just buy the machine then you're gonna get really healthy in the fastest easiest way possible and you got these super buff people just making these machines look super easy in like five minutes a day and you can look like me and you're like yeah five hours a day and that's not as easy as you make it look six-pack boy uh you know what I mean and so we just and we buy these and there's got to be a reason they put them on tv all the time people have to be buying like I don't know this is going to date me Bowflexes, whatever they have now I don't watch tv anymore we don't have cable but but like these are the things like it's just going to be easier and quicker if I have that, if I own that, if I do this. And this is kind of our approach to all of life. And here's the reality. When it comes to helping people out of their sin, when it comes to the topic of judging others in the church, we want the quickest, easiest, least messy approach that'll allow us to kind of be obedient to what the Bible says. We want like to be able, if we care at all about those that sit next to us, those that go to church with us and they're saying, we want like a quick intervention and then get out. Did my job, told them, told them what they were doing wrong. I can be done with it. I talked to Chad about it and you know, it's gonna be taken care of. I can get out of the way. I can, I did my job. God's not gonna be mad at me. I'm not sinning, you know. I got the plank out of my eye and then I told him about the speck in his eye and I can just move on and be done and no big deal and everything's okay and I did my job in the quickest, easiest, least messy way possible. What we don't want 
is to really get messy by investing in people's lives. And in this passage of Scripture, what we're going to see is that is not what the church is called to. We are not called to take the easiest, quickest approach that allows us to be kind of obedient to what God has called us to. We are called to get down in the nitty-gritty. Now here's, I just, I just want to say this again, I just, one more time, I'm just going to make this super clear, because like, if you want to be part of a great church, then what we're going to see here is going to be a driving force. If you want to be a part of a church that is really accomplishing something for God, and by that I don't mean just getting bigger, that's not what I'm saying, but really a church that matters to the world, then it takes individuals in that church listening to what we're going to see in Galatians 6, 1 through 5, and saying, I am willing to do that. Now, before we look at this passage, there's a couple things you need to see. And, and, and really what we're seeing in the book of Galatians and, and in this passage is kind of this interplay between individual responsibility and at the same time, mutual accountability. And, and it's part of this topic, right, where, where we've seen that we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. And we will have to give an answer as an individual for the things that we have done. And so the Bible shows us that when it comes to the topic of sin, we have a lot of personal responsibility. But at the same time, if you've been following around long, and if you haven't, go to our website, find the sermon series, listen to it. We have seen that we also have this corporate responsibility to each other. We have this mutual accountability where it becomes our job to help others in our church, other people who are Christians, to live out the faith that they have subscribed to. Now again, if, if you're not a Christian and you're here and you're listening, then, then I'll just say like you're safe from this issue because you don't have our morality. But I do want you this morning to, to really see what Christians should be like with each other and and if you're bothered by the church and you've seen how it can be judgmental and and it's partly because of what you'll see today and and that we've been so disobedient to it now here's the other part of this passage before I begin reading it in 6.1 of Galatians it's a concrete illustration of what Paul has been talking about already he's been talking about how individuals have responsibility but how the community plays a role in the spiritual life and how we as Christians should be guided by the spirit and now he's going to give this very tangible very real example what do you do about people that are sinning what are you doing about people whose eyes have been blurred by being disobedient to what God has called them to and here's what he says in Galatians 6 1 brothers and sisters if someone is caught in a sin You who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. First notice Paul's family terminology. He refers to them as brothers, brothers and sisters in the NIV translation. And it's a reference to the fact uh, that he loves them. When it comes to the topic of sin and helping people out of sin, so oftentimes it is void of love. We have an attitude that suggests, I just want to do my job. I don't really care. I don't really care about you. I care about me and how you're bothering me with that 
thing in your eye and I just want to do my job. But Paul begins this address by saying, hey, look, I'm speaking to you people as my spiritual family. I'm speaking to you people as the family of God. The second part of this is throughout the book of Galatians, it's when he really, really, really wants them to notice something, then he drops the word brothers in there. And so this is something that, that I think it's one of those, you come right out of the fruit of the spirit if you've grown up around church and if you've ever been in a Sunday school class and you got pictures of fruit and the apple is joy or whatever. And, and here, Paul, after the fruit of the Spirit, throws in the brothers and sisters because he wants us to really pay attention to this thing that, that is sometimes just kind of glossed over. It's not paid attention to. It's like, well, I got through the good stuff, you know. I mean, I need to be joyful and loving and kind and I need to persevere. And who cares what Paul says next because I have this individual responsibility. But he really, really, really wants you to pay attention to what he says here. Now, the other part of this is this is about somebody who's trapped in sin. It's the same idea that we've given through the eye metaphor and having something blur your vision. But here, Paul uses these walking terms. And in Galatians 5, he's talked about walking in the Spirit and how we need to walk in step with God. And here, he uses a word that is a word for a false step or to fall beside. The idea is that these people that he's referring to who are caught in sin, caught in transgression, have wandered off the path of following God and they've been entrapped by sin. They've stepped in a trap and they're struggling to get out. And some people may not even know it. Sometimes people wander and they go left or right and they just have no idea. And, and this is the type of person that we have a responsibility to help. And here's what Paul says He says to restore them, to mend them, to bring them back to their original state. Now, when you read this, and I read this passage last week, but it's very important to have the words of Jesus in mind because Jesus has already given us a, a way in which we are to mend people, a way in which we are to help restore people. Matthew 18, 15 through 17. If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen, even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or tax collector. Now here's the part. This is the part I really, really want you to see. Brothers and sisters, to use Paul's word, I, I need you to hear this. He says, restore them. And a lot of times when people have used Matthew 18, they've done it in a way that is not gentle, Paul's last word. They've done it in a way that is harsh and mean and angry, probably violent in the history of the church. They have done it in a way that suggests that they are punishing, not restoring people that have been caught in sin. Gently is more literally in the spirit of humility. One of the fruits of the spirit that Paul has just mentioned. What Paul is saying is when you restore somebody, don't do it as one who's saying, I'm awesome. Let me get this out of you. I don't really care about you, but I, I don't care. And I'm going to be a jerk. And I'm going to tell you how bad you are and what you've done wrong and sit on my high horse and pretend that I've done everything right. And Paul says that is not to be the way in which we restore somebody. It is to be done 
gently, to return to our metaphor. When you come along and somebody has something in their eye that is blurring their vision, that is causing them not to live for God, that is causing them not to live out the faith and the ethic and the morality that they have subscribed to in God, we ought not come along with a shovel and say, let me dig it out. You know, I wanted an ax, but I didn't have one available to me. No more flowers and birds around here, right? I mean, and this is, this is it. It's like, hey, just lay on the ground for a second because I see that sin in your eye and just let me, let me get that thing out of there. And you know how many people that have been hurt forever by other Christians who have come along and not been obedient to this, who have not restored others gently, but have said, you know what? You're a bad person. I'm awesome. Let me just hit that out of there. And what happens is that people never really get their true spiritual sight back because somebody else came along and said, well, it's my job to restore you. The easiest way just to get out a chainsaw. That would have been awesome, a chainsaw. I just thought of that right now on the spot. But if I could have got a chainsaw here, you would have never have forgotten. I'm not even sure we can have those in the school. But I mean, I'm, I, let me just cut that out. And we wound people and we hurt people. And sometimes we restore people when it is our job to destroy people, when it is our job to restore people. You see, Paul is saying here, like, this isn't just like find the quickest, easiest tool and chop that thing out of their eyes. This is about coming along and gently restoring somebody. It's like this. It's like if you've ever been injured, you don't go find your dad because your dad's going to poke on it and be like, does that hurt? You know, like, hey, let me get this. And have you ever been to the doctor after getting injury and you feel like they're just punching you and they're hitting you and you're like, yes, it hurts. It hurts. That's why I'm here in the first place is because it hurts. No, you find like your mom or you find your grandma because your mom or your grandma is going to gently restore you. They're going to help you without hurting you further. And Christians have taken on this attitude where it's like, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna just kind of knock it out of there. I got the axe, I got the chainsaw, let me take care of it. Through baseball, I played baseball for a very long time, and uh, many times I got bugs in my eye. And if you've never had a bug in your eye, it, it's it's terrible, really. I mean, it's, it's just they sit there and you can't get them out on your own. You need somebody else to come along and help you. And what you really don't want to see is somebody coming along with a shovel to get a bug out of your eye. I mean, it, it, when they start messing with your eye, if you've never had this done, it, it's not even fun to have a finger go into your eye, actually. It, it works much better. This is just a side note tip if you're ever running and you get a bug in your eye. It works much better to have like some type of soft cloth that, that kind of rubs the bug out of it because then you don't have somebody's fingernail in your eye. But when it comes to sin and what we see in the church, if anybody cares about sin, there seems to be two types of churches. There's churches over here that say, ah, who cares? Like, I'm here to be entertained. I'm here to listen to a sermon. I'm, I'm just here for me and I'm never gonna help you out of your sin. 
man, nice plank, you know, we'll kind of, we'll paint it, we'll paint the plank and we'll, we'll make it look good and, and we'll pretend that nothing is wrong with you at all. But on the other side, you got these churches, it seems like they're like, we'll just cut your head off and, and then we won't have to look at your sin anymore. And, and the way that it oftentimes, we'll drag you up on a stage, we'll make you look bad, we'll share it with other people, we'll gossip about you, we'll yell at you, we'll make you feel like an idiot, we will be mean to you. And Paul is saying, don't, no, 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 no. Restore people, don't ignore it, but do it gently. Now here's great advice, he says next, but watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. Some see this temptation as pride, because whenever we get to help somebody remove sin, it makes us feel more holy. Like, look, I'm better than you, I'm helping you, I, I have it figured out, and you don't. And some people think that it's the temptation to fall into the same sin, and that's definitely happened before, right? You try to help people, you're like, well, I'll just, I'll just go, and I'll, I'll be next to them, and I'll be a part of their lives, and then all of a sudden you're doing the same stuff they're doing. But no matter what, we know that pride does come before a fall, and the temptation is when you're helping others out of their sin to fall because of pride. Just look, just look at the pastors and the stories you hear about pastors. And I'm convinced that a big part of the reason that pastors do such heinous things is that they stand up in front of people each week and they meet with people over coffee and they constantly are helping other people out of their sin. And I'm, I, I, I'm, just convinced that pastors get to a point where they think, I'm kind of beyond it, you know? I'm the guy that helps others out of their sin, not the guy who sins and they fall and their faith is destroyed. And so Paul says, when you're helping other people, make sure that you watch out so that you don't fall into the same trap as them. And then he says this, check this out, and this is the worst part. This is just, this is really something that I, I don't want to live out, but it's part of what makes church great when it's done. Carry each other's burdens. Hmm. And in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. What a huge statement. I mean, because when we picture it, we got this, and we're like, hey, I'll help you get it out. But what if it's different? What if we switched metaphors and what if somebody's sin is huge and big and it's heavy and the temptations that are coming into their life on a daily, hourly basis are too much for them to bear and maybe they can pick up and walk for a little bit and you come alongside and say, hey, I see that giant concrete in your life and they're like, yeah, and, and I, can, I can carry it for a little bit but I'm not gonna be able to carry it for an hour. We go, well, just, just get rid of it. And they say, I can't just get rid of it. I'm trying, I'm trying to carry these temptations. I'm trying not to give in. You say, well, I'll just knock it out. And like, it's not gonna matter. I need help. And this is, this is, this is where we, as Christians, have so horribly missed the boat. We've said, I'll knock sin out of your life. If, if we care at all, if we're not in that church over there and we care, and we're, I'll get it out of your life. But I don't want to get dirty. I don't want to get messy. I don't want to have to sweat it all as I come alongside you and grab that burden with you. 
and try to move you forward as you look and work and strive to follow the Spirit of God. See, as Christians, if we're in this church over here, we're pretty good about saying, hey, yeah, yeah, sure, I, I think you should remove that sin. I'll help you. I'll chop it out. And in that church over there, we paint the stuff and say, don't worry about your burden. You know, it looks nice. But even when we get in the middle and we try to restore people gently, very rarely do you find a Christian who will come alongside and say, I will help you carry the burden of your temptations because I see that you cannot do it on your own. We're happy to say to people, don't steal. But are we willing to help people financially when it means we have to give of ourselves? I mean, if you knew somebody who was perpetually shoplifting, and they said, I I do it because I need to eat, and I don't feel like I can provide for my family the way that I should be. You say, well, that's wrong. Let me help you knock that out. Let me, I mean, I'll... Let's get rid of that. That's bad. The Bible says. Are you willing to help them? Are you willing to shop for them? Are you willing to give them money? Are you willing to come alongside and help them carry the burden? It's easy to look at people who are alcoholics, who are getting drunk, and to say, hey, getting drunk's a sin. Getting drunk's a sin. But can that person call you at any hour of the night? Say, hey, I just need a little help carrying my burden. It's easy to look at people. It's easy to look at people and say, hey, you have a sexual sin in your life, a sexual addiction in your life. You need to stop it. It's really hard to come alongside and to start to unpeel the layers and to dig down deeper say, wow, there's a lot going on here that's below the surface. This is just, this is just the symptom. And I'm going to help you become whole because it leaves us dirty. Not that we're giving in to sin. It's just messy sometimes. And what we want in the American church is exactly what we want when we drive from Salem to Portland or Portland to Salem is we want the fastest, easiest, cleanest, simplest way of getting our job done. But Paul is saying, don't come alongside and knock something out of the person's life, leaving them more hurt than before. Paul is saying, gently restore them by helping carry their burden. I'll tell you what. How beautiful would a church be if they didn't just paint over sin and they didn't knock people's heads off every time somebody sinned. But instead they got in the middle and they said, I want to gently restore you. And if it takes coming alongside and carrying that burden with you, then I will be here every step of the way until the burden is gone. That's paradigm shifting. That changes everything. I don't know that I've ever been a part of a church, and this is the closest, but I don't know if I've ever been part of a church that doesn't take that approach, that approach, but finds the middle and is willing to walk alongside and carry the burden of others.
but I want to be in a church like that. Because I think it would be so beautiful. I think that it would, it would move us forward in holiness, that we would be making disciples, that other people outside of the church would say, I want to be a part of that because those people don't just tell each other what they're doing wrong. They help each other every step of the way. I think it would just be so incredible. Here's the cool part is when we carry each other's burdens, we're actually living a life that is more like God. Listen to 1 Peter 5, 7. Cast all your anxiety on him, talking about God, because he cares for you. And here's the other really cool part, and this is, this is something that we need to pay attention to. He says, if you'll do this, then you will fulfill the law of Christ. The word biblical commentary describes the law of Christ as the perspective principle stemming from the heart of the gospel usually embodied in the example and teaching of Jesus, which are meant to be applied to specific situations by the direction and enablement of the Holy Spirit, being always motivated and conditioned by love. The law of Christ is following the Holy Spirit and the example and teachings of Jesus. And he says, you want to do that? Go to church more, pray more, read your Bible more? No. He says, carry each other's burdens. 1 Peter 2, 24 of this Jesus whose law we should be following, the one that is Christians we claim to follow. Listen to what it says. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. On the cross, Jesus carried your burden of sin so that you might be forgiven and have eternal life by becoming a Christian. And if we are truly Jesus followers, then we can't just say, hey, sin, I see it. I see your problem. Hey, let me yank that out. Let me get my ax and let me chop that out. If we're gonna be like Jesus, we gotta come alongside people and say, I'm willing to carry that burden with you even if it gets me dirty, even if it costs me something, even if it's heavy and hard and difficult and I have to struggle with you. If we're going to be true Jesus followers, then we have to carry one another's burdens. Now check this out because this is so big. This is so huge. And I love the way Paul writes. If anyone thinks they're something when they are not, they deceive themselves. This is, this is maybe, I should say, a common Greco-Roman statement that Paul uses to, to really illustrate his point here and, and it means a couple of things because think about this. There's only two sides of this. There are people who think they are too good, that they are too high, that they are too mighty to be helped. And there are people that, are, that think they are too high and mighty to help. And when you think about these burdens, isn't the, the, the thing that will prevent you from being with the person next to you and helping carry the burden, isn't the very thing that will prevent that you saying like, but I'm too important for that. I mean, look how squeaky clean my life is. And that's going to make me look dirty. And look how I have everything put together. And I've done everything to unload my own loads. And if I'm helping with that, it like takes me back a step. 
You see, the thing that helps, that prevents us from helping others, from carrying others' burdens, is that we look at ourselves as something, and Paul says, hey, time out, you're not. God is, so do his will. I can tell you right now, you like my sermon already. I can see it in your eyes, and you're thinking, yes, we got to be a church that carries each other's burdens. That's cool. I would love to be a part of that church. And, and what will happen is, is when you hear about somebody's sin, you'll be like, ooh, but uh, I don't really want to get involved in that. It's none of my business. It's their fault anyway. They caused this. They shouldn't ever. I can't believe they. Hey, did you hear what they did? way easier and it makes us feel way more important and it allows for us to be prideful far more than picking up somebody's burden and walking along with them romans 12 3 talking in the context of church paul says do not think of yourself more highly than you ought but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith god has distributed to each of you don't think about yourself and how well you've done. Think about yourself and how much Jesus did for you. And when you start to say, well, I can't help with your burden because look at, I mean, I'm important and you're a sinner. Just look at Jesus and go, wow. The only reason I have a chance not to sin is because you bore my sins and drew me to place my faith in what you did on the cross. He continues. And this is big. This is big because it's, it's the other side of the story. Galatians 6, 4, each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. For each one should carry their own load. Don't you love it when two verses later they contradict themselves in the Bible or seemingly contradict? Like, what did he just say? And I think this is probably in Paul's thinking. Okay, and this happens, and you know people like this, and, and this is just everywhere. This is everywhere, like, well, okay. It's your job to help me. And, you know, the fact that I'm sinning and I'm not doing some things right is because those other people in my church are not fulfilling their responsibility. And if they would just come along and they would do their job, then I would be okay and I would do right. You see, with most every good Bible teaching comes somebody who's going to abuse that Bible teaching. Somebody on the other side that comes along and says, ooh, I can use this for my own gain. You all need to help me carry my load. Okay, come over, help me move. Uh, I'm sinning and it's your fault because you didn't call me yesterday and I haven't been at church in a while because they, and we, it switches. And I've known a lot of people who have done a lot of stuff that's dishonoring to God because of what everybody else did. And Paul, I think, I mean, he's writing the Bible, so it's, you know, Holy Spirit inspired and all that, but it's really just an intelligent move because he's very proactive in this. Like, whoa, before you start blaming everybody else for how they were ungentle and didn't pick up your weight with you and help you along, remember this. You need to test your own actions. You need to work to carry your own load. Here's what Paul is saying. Carry your own load and help others carry their load. Don't expect everybody else to carry yours, but carry your own and help everybody else that you know that's sinning carry theirs. It's a big deal. Because sometimes we compare, right? I mean, this is, this is what we do like, okay, 
this isn't too heavy, you know, and you look over and you're carrying this and you're looking over at the person and you're like, yeah, they can handle that on their own. I mean, this is, this is, that's much lighter than what I got going on. And I'm, you know, I'm the most important person in the universe. And, uh, and so, you know, I mean, they don't need my help. Paul's saying, yeah, you need to, you need to carry your load. You need to fight your own temptations. You need to do your best to live out the morality that you subscribe to in Christianity it doesn't take away your personal responsibility just because everybody else in your church should be helping you carry your burden. The thing is, I've seen it abused so often. It's like, well, those people in the church should be helping me. You should get a job. You should flee temptation. You should read the Bible, learn about what the Bible says. You need to take personal responsibility from your life and help others to carry their own load. I've noticed this, and we set up here every single week, and today we got destroyed by a monsoon, and um, Kevin looked like he peed his pants for a really long time this morning, and uh, and we were going to bring him up here and say, see, we need help setting up, so come at 8 in the morning. But we thought it might be bad advertising for that, and it was all discussed this morning. But I've noticed something, like, if you, we have these yellow bins everywhere with the yellow tops. I'm sure you've seen them after church. If you, like, carry one by yourself, and somebody else carries one, they can be pretty heavy. But when you both do both of those together, then it feels much lighter, and the work is a lot more fun, and it's a little bit easier. I think what Paul is saying is like, you can't just drop your burden and go, well, I'm part of a church. They ought to do everything for me, you know? I mean, it says in Galatians 6, 3, but instead you were to carry your own load and with the help of others, you were to carry their load too. And I think what happens is that sin becomes much easier to conquer when we take that approach. Comparing ourselves to others is bad in Romans 14, 12, Paul says that we will all give an account for ourselves to God. And I'm telling you this, when you get to heaven and you sit before the judgment seat of God, you can't be like, well, those other Christians, if they would have and done this and they didn't really help me enough and they weren't willing to get dirty, that's not going to work. Bad excuse. You will answer to God on your own. Galatians 5, 6, and this is what he says. He says, and it seems to come out of nowhere and and. I have a unique take on this here, but going to take this for what it's worth in a second. But nevertheless, the one who receives instruction in the Lord should share all good things with their instructor. Everybody I read on this passage, commentary-wise, everybody that's smarter than me that I read, said this is about finances, and it's very loosely connected, and Paul's almost switching thoughts and saying, pay the people that teach you the gospel, that teach you the Bible. And I'll, uh, I will say... Uh, I'm thankful that you guys do that, and you've been generous with me and my money, and um, it, it would be like preaching to the choir if I sat here and said, do that. I, I also am very thankful for the fact that you have uh, been so kind to me uh, during this last month, which is pastor appreciation. There's still five days left for the rest of you who haven't done anything for me, but uh, and so maybe this passage of scripture applies right here, uh, but uh, the church has been super generous to me, and so thank you for living this out. However, the word share there doesn't just need to apply to finances. It does sometimes in the Bible, but it does in other places. And and this is where I just I feel the need to say, like, this is a Chad Harms original thought. And so it's not nearly as intelligent as everything else I say. So uh, take this for what it's worth. But I actually 
At this point right now, don't think he's talking about finances, even though Paul does talk about oftentimes how you should pay the spiritual leaders in your lives and things like that. I actually think he's talking about sharing the load of helping other people carry their loads. And maybe I think this because the passage can lead to that and is okay with that, but also because I've seen how it doesn't really happen. And what I find is that me, the pastor of this church, is trying to carry the load of a lot of people's sins. And there's an unwillingness, even in our congregation that I love, for you to step up and share in that with me. Most often your immediate reaction to hearing about somebody's sin is to talk to me if you find out about it. And most of you will not engage in deep enough relationships, even in our church, that allow for you to ever know about other people's sins. And I could be wrong on this passage and what it means, but this is what I'm asking anyway. I'm asking that you stop looking at me as the guy who helps bear other people's burdens, and you start looking at yourself as somebody who needs to share in that task. I think I'm close enough to a lot of people in this church to hear about a lot of sin, and I'm thankful for that. But what I think that this verse wants you to hear is that you also need to be that close to other people so that you can hear about their sins and so that you can help carry the burdens of others. This concrete block is very noticeable, but the temptations and the struggles and the sins in people's lives usually aren't. And we come on Sunday mornings and we sit around and, and everybody looks nice and except for me with this dirt on my shirt. But everybody, you know, comes and they look spiritual and they sing and some of you raise your hands and you don't even know what's going on in anybody else's lives. And I think this passage suggests that you need to know. You need to be willing to help carry other people's burdens. Can I tell you something that bothers me? Here's something that bothers me. That churches like ours feel a need to have small groups. I don't think they ever would have thought of this in the early church. And the first church was 2,000 people on the very first day. So this is not, you're not talking like five people in the early church. When I talk about the early church, like 2,000 people. And the Bible tells us that they were meeting in each other's homes daily. You see, they didn't need connect groups because they took their responsibility to help others carry the load, to help others live out spiritual, their, their Christian spirituality, to help others be moral and to follow the will and the way of God seriously. They didn't just say, I'll show up on Sundays. They said, come over to dinner and let's have real, spiritual, deep relationships. I already said one of the reasons I think pastors crumble. I think here's another one. Nobody's sharing with them in the responsibility to carry the burdens of people in their congregations. I think we're better than a lot of churches, so don't hear me wrong. This is not condemnation of how our church is. I'm glad to be a part of this church, but I still think you think Chad is the one who helps people when they're sinning. And we can't be a good church and grow if that's the attitude that we have. It might work now, 
I'm a pretty strong person, to be honest with you. I've been a Christian a long time. I have quite a bit of faith. Bryn will tell you that I'm a pretty good rock and that I can carry the weight of quite a bit. I don't even share things with her when I know about them. But if we have another 100 people, and that's still the mentality of our church, then either I will fall into sin or our church just won't be very good because we'll be painting over everybody's sins or trying to knock them out with an axe. This is unique to me, but I think what this passage says is that you need to share in the task of carrying people's burdens. You might not be a pastor at our church. You might not be a ministry leader at our church. You might not be part of our ministry advisory team, but you have a responsibility to restore people gently, helping carry their burdens. Listen to what Luke eleven forty six 46 says. This is so key and I'm almost done. Jesus replied, and you experts in the law, woe to you because you load people down with burdens they can hardly carry and you yourselves will not lift one finger to help them. God, help that not to be true of our church. Sometimes Christians just want to beat morality into people, force it upon everybody, and sometimes Christians just want to ignore sin altogether. But this passage of Scripture says that we need to help restore those who are caught in sin gently. This is what I want you to hear. I'm so excited to say this to you. This is a good one. This, is, this could sum it all up right here. Judge gentle, not judgmental. Boom. Yep, yep. Thank you. Thank you. I will be here for another couple hours. Um. Judge gentle, not judgmental. And the driving force behind this series has been that Christians are seen as judgmental hypocrites. And we're hypocrites because we don't call out sin or we're judgmental because of the way in which we call it out. And I think if we just look in the mirror and say, okay, I'm going to judge gentle. I'm going to help people remove sin from their lives. I'm going to see sin. I'm going to recognize sin. I'm not going to pretend sin is not sin. I'm going to help people get out of their sin. But I'm going to do it gently. Then it changes the way the world views the church. Lord, I pray that we would be a congregation that doesn't ignore sin, that doesn't pretend that sin isn't sin, that doesn't paint over sin, And I also pray, God, that we would not be a congregation that beats people up over their sin, that uses a sledgehammer to knock sin out of people, that that God is mean to people that sin, that hurts people even worse when they're caught in sin. But I, I pray instead, God, that we would be a church that judges gentle, God, and isn't judgmental. I pray that we would be a church that would carry the burdens of one another, Lord. And that we wouldn't be afraid of the mess. We wouldn't be afraid of the weight. But we would come alongside and say, I am here to help you. And I pray, God, that we would be a church where it's not. And this is so hard in our modern era of Christianity. I pray, though, Lord, that we would be a church where it's not just a few people trying to help others in this journey that is Christianity. But it's every part of this church. 
every person in this church walking alongside one another so that we can become more holy, God. We can move to the perfection that you call us to. God, I pray for people in this room that are not part of a connect group, that are not connecting in any way, that they would do it. That they would make a decision no matter how uncomfortable or how difficult or how much they don't like small group settings like me. God, that they would make a decision to say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to connect. But even more, God, even more than that, because the groups are created just to get to the heart of what I've taught today. Even more, God, our people would be in relationship with one another and relationships, God, that allow for deep spiritual dialogue, help, friendship, Lord. God, it's really, it's really in those relationships, God, that we, that we become more like you. I love you, Jesus, and I pray these things in your name. Amen.